This is London Calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast that is Thought and Leaders. As you know, I scour this beautiful, magnificent, glorious planet of ours to find the most incisive, the most inspirational people out there. This week is absolutely no exception to the rule because this week we have a legend. (laughs) Not only is he one of the UK's greatest actors, in my opinion, he (laughs) is also an amazing advocate for charity. As you know, listeners, I've interviewed lords, ladies, all sorts of people. But this guy, not only does he have a CBE, but he has an OBE. Rudolf Walker, OBE, CBE. How do I dress you? Rudolf or Rudy, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, then. Rudy, (laughs) that's fine with me then. Mm. I was racking my brain. What do I say? Okay, well, uh, first of all, once again, thank you again for um, being here on Thought and Leaders. Now, I want to take you, I'm going to throw, throw you straight into this. Right? Okay. Now, I want to take you back to San Juan in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, right? Now, so you are eight years old, okay? Mm-hmm. And you are in the primary school. Over here, it's sort of comprehensive. You know, we go from infant to primary, and primary in those days for us went right through up until 16. Ah, um, so when I went to, to primary school, it was called Baratira EC, mm. at the age of about eight, right. I decided to join the, the, the drama group. And yes, Which was with Derek Walcott, wasn't it? That was later on. Oh, carry on, yeah. Put it this way, at infant school, I call it the bug for acting. It's just that I love going on stage, I was told by my infant school teacher and um, mm-hmm. at the end of the year when they have their little concerts, you know, I don't know if you remember little concerts you had at school where your parents. And, I remember. Yeah. And I did that. And apparently I was always asking for more to do. You know, even at the age of eight, I wasn't satisfied. <laughs> Were you precocious saying, I, I want to do more? <laughs> no, I, I, according to my teacher, I wasn't precocious or anything like that. It's just simply that uh, they said I was, I was a shy kid, but put me on stage and something happened. That's it. Once the, once the lights are on, that's it. So how, how, where does Errol John come into all of this? Uh, at the, probably at the age of 14 or 15 or thereabout. There was the Trinidad Theatre Company or workshop, the the Company of Players, it was called. Errol John was a member there, and I joined. But by the time I joined, he left um, Trinidad and immigrated to England and was between Hollywood and uh, and, uh, and America. So then I was the youngest member of that particular um, company. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it was was it was it Errol who who convinced you to 
to go to the UK because it would be good for your career? Or what? Yes, it was Errol John in one of his trips down to Trinidad. I think I was around the age of 19 going on to 20 at the time. Right. And visited Trinidad, saw me in a play and we had a chat and I said, what do I do? Because there's no point in staying in Trinidad. And he suggested I pack my bags and get out to the UK because the training is a lot better. Approximately five years later, you land your first TV role as a policeman in a uh, British program, which was a, called the Wednesday Play. In, in an episode, I believe it was called The Fable, around January 65. Yes, uh, I, that was the fact. Uh, I think prior to that, I'm sure, I don't know when On the Buses, what came first, I did On the Buses. That was 69. That was 69. Yeah. All right. So, right. <laughs> but yes, I, I landed that, and that was that was quite something. You know, in those days, Rudy, was it all live TV? These plays? Not all of them, but I did a, a number of um, thirty-minute theaters and uh, and plays for today. Yes, that was live television, and ah. I'm telling you, it was nerve-wracking. I, I bet it was nerve-wracking. Completely different to what happens now. There's so much feeling on the buses As people fumble for the fare It always happens in the crushes They take their chances when it's there It's so exciting on the buses When someone's fumbling close to you on the bus. Now, in 1969, apparently, you actually were somewhere in the first episode of On the Buses with the very famous Reg Varney, who went on to become an amazing artist. Mm -hmm. I was. I did a a few of the very early episodes. Uh, And the plan was that um, I will carry on to be, you know, one of the regular members of the cast. Only to be told um, that I am not going to be, and the reason I was pulled aside quietly by uh, the then producer, stroke director, that it would affect the ratings. We would, they were told that it would affect the ratings. So sorry, we can't have Rudy as a running character. Sorry, I don't understand. Why would it affect the ratings? You tell me. You explain to me. You know. Oh, really? Is it? Is it what I think it is? Is it what I think it is? Yes, it is. Good God. Well, I mean, yeah, that dovetails quite neatly into around 1972. Whilst on the buses decided that they wouldn't feature you because of your colour, that same sort of thing had a twist because because of your colour, you got into the amazing Love Thy Neighbour, and that ran for seven series from 72 to 76. Love thy neighbour, walk up and say how be ya. Gee, but I'm glad to see a pal house trick. What's new? Love thy neighbour. 
But you see, when I look at it now and when generations from 2021 look at it, we just scratch our head and think, why, how could this be that, that such a program was running? But of course, it was indicative of that era, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think that we have to be very careful now when we look at things that has taken place or shows that were done in that. That was for that era. Exactly. You know, the, the, the same way that, you know, we look at the American films back in the 30s, 39, 40, 50s, and we saw the, you, you, you know, the, 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 the mamas, you know, the, the ladies who did the, the cleaning and who look after the, you know, the white aristocrats, and sometimes they roll their eyes. But that was for that period. No actress would do that. No, no actor would do that now. But according to, really, according to uh, Sarita Malik who I understand was the writer, um, she said that the really interesting thing from her point of view was that the white character, who uh, Eddie Booth, who was played by Jack Smethurst, mm-hmm. he actually came out looking like the idiot, quite frankly, whereas the lines that she gave you, it was clear that you were the guy who was on the ball, intelligent, smart, and all the rest of it. Yes and no. Um the writers, the rewriters were um, Vince Powell and Harry Driver. So where does Sarita come into it? She came in later on to, to, to write, I think, a few episodes. But it really, the, that was the original. That's the guys who wrote it right. um, in the first place. It was their idea. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I said to them when they brought me in to look at the script and to, to cast me and do the auditions and going through that whole thing, and they finally cast me. I said, the most important thing is that at no time at all must um, Bill Reynolds be a, an Uncle Tom. Absolutely. You know, he would give as much as he get. And if the other character hit me, I will thump him back and vice versa. Absolutely. But what it really highlighted was the stupidity of racism and, and how totally unnecessary it was, and if we examine ourselves, and uh, you know that we all yes. in this together, and it's something that I tell when I visit schools that yeah. whatever you do in life now, if you think that you're on top and you're calling the tune and you're you know dictatorial and you're pushing people out of their countries, it is going to come back in the end to haunt you, and it is also ultimately will affect you and your family somewhere along the line. So true. You said in 2001, in an article in uh, The Guardian, in nearly every show, the white neighbour was shown to be wrong. When you see what's been happening in 2021, um, in terms of uh, prejudice and racism and so on and so forth, do you think we're ever going to progress, that people are ever going to learn to get on with each other? Well, you know, we are on a planet and we are all part of that planet. We are all part of the human race. Uh And we either get on together, we recognize the mistakes that we've made, or we perish. But why is it, in your opinion, then, there's so much crime going on with disenfranchised young people with knife crime, especially in London? What, What do you put it down to? We have to go all the way back. We have to we have to respect each other. We have to look at equality. We have to uh, address things that has happened in the past. And we can't, we stop, push, put things under the carpet. 
you know, um, I on interviews that I do now, I suggest that sometimes people look and listen, listen to John Barnes, who recently gave a very, very powerful um, interview. And he spoke for every one of us. Mm-hmm. Racism is a problem in society, and we can't compartmentalize it to say it's in the police or it's in football because it absolves the rest of society in terms of looking at itself to then say how culpable are we in being mm-hmm. part of this. And we all are. Do you think then it's something that's getting worse? It's not getting worse, but because we didn't hear it, we thought it was getting better. Now, in football, what football can do is they can say, if there are any racist chanting, we're going to kick you out to the ground. So for any unconsciously racist football fans, all you have to do is keep your mouth shut. That doesn't mean it's getting any better. Mm. But of course, in times of confrontation, people show their true colors. And people say, so you can't tell me those three people who actually were racially abusing him. There would have been hundreds who probably would have felt like saying the same thing, but they didn't. Mm. So does that then mean it doesn't exist? So until we start to challenge, to tackle it holistically, looking at how to get rid of racism, and the only way we can do that is to tackle the cause, not the symptom. And that incident is the symptom of it, as is we've seen symptoms from, from Luis Suarez, John Terry. We've seen so many symptoms. And very much like a disease, you have to tackle the cause of racism, not the symptoms. And all we're doing is tackling the symptoms. It is prevalent in society as you go into the inner cities and see how disenfranchised and how lack of opportunities are there for members of ethnic minorities. So why should football be any different? Society has to change. They can't change society. Society has to change. And the only way we can do that is, and I always say this, for every Raheem Sterling, John Barnes, who may talk about how we were racially abused, for every Stormzy who says that um, singers won't get um, Grammys, and for every Idris Elba or black actors who say we're not getting Oscars, what about the average black person in the street? And until we change the perception of the average black person in the street, there will always be the opportunities for the so-called superstar black celebrities to get an Oscar and to get a manager's job and to, and, and to get a, but that won't change. The only way we can change racism is if we change the perception of the average black person in the street, and then you will have many more average black people being given what they deserve. This is Thought and Leaders. You have been in some absolute flagship shows. Uh, the Thin Boon Line with uh, Ryan Atkinson. You, of course, uh, you, you, you've been involved with EastEnders, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But you've also uh, been involved with some fascinating uh, movies, including 10 Rillington Place. Because of your experience in, uh, on the small screen, do you think it helps when it comes to acting on the big screen or, or, or or, or it really has nothing to do with Well, it. they all complement each other. They're also the theatre, you know. Um, I have been blessed because very early on in my career, I spent a lot of time in the theatre. So I had a very good grounding and a very good foundation. I wasn't, I say, fortunate or unfortunate enough not to attend a, a, go to drama school, you know, the famous Lambda or Rada. And instead, I went to an evening institute. But how did you break in then, Rudy? Because, you know, everyone says unless you go to RADA, it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. I found myself going out to repertory theatre companies and writing. I mean, there was a time when I wrote to every single theatre company in the UK and every director and producer on every station from ATV to BBC to ITV, Thames Television, and those were in the very early days saying, look, and the reason why I found myself doing that 
in because as a young actor in this country, we were faced with um, you turn up for an interview, and the director would say, um, "What have you done?" And I said, "Well, you know, I've did this in the amateur theatre." No, no, but what have you done professionally? Nothing. Sorry, you're not experienced enough. Right? Right, yeah, go on. And then then you would be told um, the part wasn't written for you. It's written, you know, it's written for a white actor. It's a, oh, for goodness it's a, sake. But yes, it's a doctor. It's a, it's, it's a road sweeper, but it has to be, the, it, in, the, in, in the script it has to be mentioned, he is black. Unbelievable. So we went through that. I took the decision very early on, okay, though they're closing those doors, let me write to all the directors, especially in the, you know, in the Malvern Festival Theatre and theatres up and down the country. And out of maybe hundreds, I got the odd reply that said, look, we are doing this play, Sergeant Musgrave's Dance, to use an example. We want you to be one of the minors. Well, nothing is mentioned about a minor being black. Right. But I got the part. Right. Right. So I built up a, a, a profile. Yeah. And when I came up for interviews in so-called the, the, the mecca of theatre in London and a, go to, for an interview, the director would say, uh, what have you done? And I said, well, look, I played this, I played that. Uh, right. But um, Mr. Walker, we'll... Um, Unfortunately, we can't use you, number one, because it isn't written for a black actor, but they end oh, up using yeah. an American, especially for the leading roles. So, the, yeah. you know, the goalpost was forever changing. Um, so in the 60s and 70s, it would be an understatement yeah. to say that we had issues and had problems. You worked in the Royal Court Theatre in 74. You have worked, of course, the magnificent Othello, and you also were in The Tempest, and you worked with a guy I used to know years ago, Jonathan Miller. What a genius. Jonathan was um, doing a play um, at the Mermaid Theatre called Benito Sereno. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I went up for the audition, and unfortunately at the time, apparently, they, they were trying to get the guy who played it in America to come over and do it. And I give equity its due. They said, no, there are actors over here who I'm sure will be capable of doing it. Absolutely. In your case, more than capable of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I went along and I saw Jonathan and he cast me in that. And, you know, we had rave reviews. It was well accepted. And bless him, Jonathan, when he was doing The Tempest at the Mermaid Theatre, called me. I didn't have to audition, and he did it again at the um, at the Ulvik. Yeah, that's right. A few years later, and asked me again to come and recreate the role. So I had a very I learned a lot from Jonathan Miller. He was a because it was so early in my career, he became a sort of a mentor. I mean, what a genius! And his I remember his series, The Body in Question. Yes, yes, yes. Amazing, amazing. Now. I'm going to take you from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> which is you you lent your voice to the British TV show. Uh, oh, here we go. The Teletubbies. <laughs> Time for Teletubbies. Time for Teletubbies. Time for Teletubbies. Time for Teletubbies. Dinky Winky. Dinky Winky. Dip, 
The Teletubbies? <laughs> well, I mean, they, you know, you, you, they ask you to use your voice for something and you don't say no. Of course, it's work. You know, it, it, it's work. But I must admit it, people keep reminding me of the Teletubbies. And I remember doing things, but I honestly can't remember the actual the, the actual episodes and, 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 and what, there you go. what I did. So... One of these days, my maybe my grandchildren would pull it out and say, "Look, Grandpa, please God, I want to embarrass you. Listen to this." Exactly, please God, and that's and that's the main thing, you know, that we can have our grandchildren embarrass us. That is that is always worth uh, while. <laughs> now let's move on to then got the OBE, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, in two thousand and six for your services to drama. Mm. Wow, what was that like? It was it was a fantastic experience, humbling, um, you know, to of course, of course. visit, you know, the Buckingham Palace under, mm. um, it was bestowed upon me by Princess Anne. Fantastic. The highlight for me really was um, I took my, my son and daughter to the palace and it's really watching them yes. taking it all in and they... Yeah, they were moved by yeah. you know by the experience. Um, so it, it really was, in a strange sort of way, it, that was my joy. What a joy, and a joy for the family. Hey, Rudy. Exactly, but but you know you set off in, in you know your career. I, you know when I left Trinidad in 1960, there is no way in my wildest dream would I visualize. What a journey! Yeah. You know, going into a, a journey and going into Buckingham Palace to receive uh, a, an award, and uh, it was my, you know, my peers, people within the industry, who were very uh, vocal and very um, supportive uh, of the award. So, in a way, that you know, that was uh, humbling, a good experience. Then you get involved with Werner Wilkins of of Tamarind Books, who published your bio as a kind of role figure for kids. And, and of course, she went on to sell uh, Tamarind books to Random House, mm. another amazing person, mm. in, in my view, for the work that she does. Mm. Now, then, 2018, you get the Outstanding Achievement Award at the British Soap uh, Awards, of course, for your uh, amazing work um, with EastEnders. And then that takes us all the way to 2020, when you make a return visit to Buckingham Palace. I assume it was Buckingham Palace. No, it, it was St. James's Palace this time. With Prince Charles. Prince Charles, yes. And, and in fact, I understand that that was the first major investiture ceremony since um, COVID started. Yeah, it, it was. Well, it must have been different, I suppose, because you got social distancing and all that sort of idea. Different, but you know what? I... It was more personal uh-huh. because there were only about 30-odd people who um, received the investiture that day. Do you imagine walking down the, the carpet with your, your daughter on your side mm-hmm. um, and being able to, both of you, to go right up to Prince Charles and be given the, 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 the you know, the, the, the investiture and uh, 
It was a fantastic experience for her, great experience for me. Beautiful. You were able to talk to the staff, ask them questions about themselves and, uh, and uh, what's it like. It was that sort of atmosphere which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Beautiful. Now, before we get into the Rudolf Walker Foundation, I just want to ask you one last thing about your acting career to do with a current storyline that's in EastEnders. And don't worry, I'm not asking you to reveal anything. I can say this because it's already been shown that it's to do with mental health. I take my hat off to EastEnders for tackling it and having, you know, brilliant young actor by Steve. Yeah. Um, Steve playing, you know, playing the part of Isaac, and he is an amazing, it's a, a talent that's going to go far. Yeah, I, I agree with you, yeah. But mental issue is something that my gut feeling is that the government is maybe underestimating the impact it's going to have on our society down the line. I agree. We think that COVID itself, is presenting a lot of problem and problems for the National Health Service. Um, you know, the NHS, believe you me, I, I don't want to spell doom and thing, but you can see it happening, you can feel it happening. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Specialist speakers, make your next event. Fascinating. Authentic. Entertaining. Insightful. Refreshingly honest. Totally compelling. Contact. Specialistspeakers.com. Let's talk about something a bit happier, which is. Please. <laughs> which is um, your amazing foundation. What's the foundation all about? The idea of um, working with kids or youngsters go all the way back in the 70s when I did Love Thy Neighbor. And I visited schools up and down the country, schools in Bristol and Birmingham and. And, and Brixton, especially we are kids in, in, in those days where, you know, you had the sus law. Could you tell listeners what that was? There was stop and search, you know, youngsters when they congregate after school at the corner, just to chat, just to have make jokes, which I did growing up as a youngster in Trinidad. Well, we all did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, they were stopped and harassed. Good God. And visiting these schools in Brixton, you know, the kids said, well, Mr. Walker, that is what happened. And, and sometimes we find, what do we do? I came away kind of perplexed because, um, as I said, it was a common thing for us in Trinidad for the boys to gather the corners and just make jokes and have fun. We were never disruptive. And these youngsters that I spoke to, they certainly weren't disruptive. So out of that, I thought, well, why not I will launch an inter-school drama competition. There were two schools at the time, the Tulse Hill School and the Dick Shepherd School in, in, in Brixton. An inter-school drama competition where the kids would get together outside school hours and okay. write and direct their own 10-minute drama. They get into groups of about five or ten. So it meant that they had... To, to work outside school hours. They had to engage their minds, their bodies, their everything outside school hours. Right. Each school would select the five best groups and we'll perform it on a Sunday in front of celebrities. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had people like Cleo Lane and Little and Large and various celebrities coming on a Sunday and Carmen Monroe, who helped me with it, 
and we will judge them and give them little trophies and the school would get the prize for the uh, uh, an award for the best performance and best groups and and it proved successful because it wasn't aimed at people who wanted to go to, into the theater it was aimed at people who wanted to do something outside school hours who wanted to support each other who wanted to make friends who wanted to explore who wanted self confidence it gave them a sense of purpose didn't it oh gosh it did and well that folded because the school is no longer existed oh. on my 70th birthday i was approached again just before that by a youngster called Mervin Kato for the uh, the council and said to me look right that program that you didn't know he invited in fact he invited me to some centers in 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 north london that had problems you know kids were expelled from school right they had serious problems so i visited spoke to them and i decided to cut a story short i decided to relaunch the interschool drama competition mm. Under the banners of the foundation, the Rudolf Walker Foundation, which I launched in 1970. So the idea is to have this competition among schools, not only in London, but as far as feel as Bristol and Cardiff and Birmingham, and we are now going into the Caribbean and hopefully wow. yeah. um, to the other uh, African countries. Really, but with that, not only the interschool drama competition. We do things like role model awards, where you know the school or class put forward someone who mm. has done something beyond, as they call, beyond the line of duty. Someone who has made a positive contribution either to their friends or to a class or to something like that, and is a role model. Because what I find happening in our society is that if there is a stabbing outside, let's say one of my functions, one of the the foundation big award ceremony where kids are being honored right if there is a stabbing or disturbance the press is there yeah yeah and it makes headlines but the press wouldn't write anything about the positive things that the youngsters are doing but hasn't it always been that way rudy it has been like that for as far as for as long as i can recall we still don't honor our youngsters who you know yeah. We have kids the far outnumber the the kids who are doing a lot of great things far outnumber the ones who are involved in you know call it crime or call it whatever. Exactly. And what I find so I say encouraging or disturbing is that when I visit these centers and I talk to these youngsters, they are so intelligent. They are so bright. They have yeah. so much to yeah. offer. And I think we have a problem again with something. We have a problem with our school system. What kind of a problem? Well, we, you know, academic and the the, the need for A levels and O levels and the, the one that to come out with a degree is not always the only way. A yeah. kid who can't go out in the garden and 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 dig and plant some seeds and get close to nature. Yeah, they are missing something. They are lacking something. Yeah, it all seems to be about with with schools these days that they have to have these performance charts that they have to uh, keep on beating and stuff like that. And 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 that's not really what education's about, is it? Not at all. Not at all. Why is it if a a, a young black kid is, is in a class? Yeah, 
of, you know, 20 or 30. And that kid would repeatedly yeah. get up and ask, Miss, why did you say that? What is this? Why is it? Give me the answer for that. Suddenly that, ch- that child is disruptive. It's crazy. You see, and, be, you know, that kids want to learn. It means that you're not telling them everything. You're keeping, you know, you, you're working to a set pattern. But children are different. Mm. It, it is the greatest age of man, I think. As we get older and we become cynical and then we stop asking, that's when problems start. So we need to encourage mm-hmm. the generations to ask and we need teachers to communicate with them yeah. and do exactly what you guys are doing with the foundation, mm. giving the sense of purpose and letting them show their talents and, of course, their skills as well. Of course. Yeah? And, and it doesn't matter how great the talent is or, or modest the talent yeah. is. Yeah. It's their talent and they can own it and we, we should recognise it. Yeah, and nurture it. Aha, 100%, Moody. We, we need to, to nurture it. Moving on, when you look at the business that is show and you look at our world around you, what's your feeling? Optimistic? Hope? Oh, I am always hopeful. I, I, I live my life of hope and dreams and uh, expectation. I try to be as positive as possible. And I try to encourage as best as I am physically and mentally able to love and, and, and happiness among the people I work with and with my family. Um, I steer clear of negativity. Do you think that social media, Rudy, uh, makes things worse? Well, it, it, it can make it worse. It also can make it good. Um, I am from the era where I mm. my joy is being outside in the garden. My joy... My fun is not sitting in front of a television. My fun is outside playing tennis. Or if I play games with my, I used to play a lot of games with my children, grandchildren, going up and down the country, playing cricket and Beautiful. different sceneries. I was in Trinidad last year because of lockdown, because of COVID. It was the most beautiful time of my life. Seven months just reconnecting with nature, walking outside bare feet. Absolutely things that we don't notice usually the trees the the, the everything the birds yeah. all of this stuff beautiful yeah and if, and if i watch television yeah let's say four hours in the months that i was down there that's a lot <laughs> i want people to support the foundation what can they do are you looking for funds or what, what are you looking for we depend uh, sometimes on funds. We not sometimes, all times. We depend on on funds. Some of us take money out of our own pockets. And the various functions that we have, like when I did my seventieth birthday, seventieth and eightieth um, right. birthday parties, uh, that was mainly to raise funds for the foundation. Fantastic. You know, we have applied to various grants and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but as you know, um, nowadays, at, um, especially with COVID, and uh, a lot of the charities are struggling to find any sort of financial help. Um, but, you know, sometimes goodwill goes a very, very long way. This is an amazing cause because it's about investing in the future. Of course giving people, as I said before, this sense of purpose. It's about celebrating and allowing themselves to be celebrated rather than to be 
um, aligned through skewed reporting yes. because it's not all what you think out there. So if they want to contact you, do they just look up the Rudolph Walker Foundation? Is that the best way to do it? That's the best way to do it, and all the information is there. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute total pleasure to speak to you, Rudy. Well, bless you. Thank you very much. It's a humbling experience, and I wish all your listeners, you know, good health, Godspeed, and um, unhappiness. Fantastic. So, until next time, people, remember, it's not just about loving thy neighbour, <laughs> it's about loving yourself, mm-hmm. and together we are all on this planet to be one family. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Love thy neighbor. Walk up and say, How be you? Gee, but I'm glad to see a pal. How's quick? What's new? Thought and Leaders is a goodbye production. It is heard around the world, but we can't continue broadcasting without your support. If you are interested in sponsoring the show, or are looking for award-winning content, including strategy and coaching, please DM us or email reinventatme.com. That's reinventatme.com. Hey, to that girl next door. Now don't think I'm bold, but my mother told me to love thy neighbor, and you will find your labor. <laughs>